Well, good morning. It's so good to see everybody today. Uh, mentioned just briefly before getting the message, the past week there was a newspaper that serves the northeast suburb. It's called the Garland Rowlett Messenger. And there's an article in there about um, the heroes that came out after the tornado struck our city. And you should know that Spring Creek is mentioned as one of those heroes. So it was a really nice thing. <clears throat> You know, I was out of the country at the time, but the church didn't need my presence to rally around people in desperate need. And so you showed up and helped to uh, uh, man a soup kitchen that fed people in our community that didn't have any place to go, and you served in so many other areas. But I'm just grateful for a church that knows uh, we have a calling to serve our city, that we, when we're called, we suit up and we show up. We do what's necessary. And, and it makes a difference. It makes such a difference that, you know, I have this phrase, and we've lived by it for years, that servants get invited into places where the mighty can't force their way. You know, when, when there's a need in the city, city officials reach out to me as your pastor, to Spring Creek Church, to ask us what we can do to help. Because we have a reputation in this community as a church that shows up when there's a problem and are more than willing to serve. So I just thank you for how you model that and how you live that as a church family. Well, we're continuing this series on the Gratitude Challenge. We've been looking at some really cool topics. We looked at laughter. We looked at friends. Today, we're going to look at the gift of rest. I'd like to begin with some stats that kind of help to show the barometer of where we are as a people in this country. Back in 2013, the last time the Gallup organization did a study on sleep, this is what they found. The average American slept six-point hours a night, but some 40% of us bank less than six hours a night. Uh, Fitbit, a lot of you keep the Fitbit to kind of keep track of your level of exercise and things like that. They've been tracking America's sleep patterns. They found that Americans in their 40s and early 50s get the least amount of sleep. You know, so those of you with young kids in your 20s and 30s, you think you're sleep deprived now? It's, it's just the warm-up act, okay? Uh, back in 2013, the National Sleep Foundation conducted a survey of 1,500 people across six different countries. Listen to this. The majority of people, 56% in the U.S., 56% in Japan, and 66% of people in Germany are not getting enough sleep. Now, a few years after that, in 2015, they did another study that involved an even larger sampling of people, 18,000 people across 183 different countries, and they discovered 68% of us said that we yearn to get more rest. Can you relate to that? I mean, I certainly can. You know, with the, with the advent of artificial light, things have changed. You know, it used to be when the sun went down, that meant the day was over. Work was done for the day. Uh, we have worked and did work for a long time in Kenya, far western Kenya, in what's called the Nyakach Valley, a place called Katito. For the first three years that we went to this community, there was no electricity whatsoever in that valley. So whatever time it got dark, people didn't go inside and watch TVs. Nobody had TVs because they didn't have electricity to, to watch the TV. So there's no TVs. People didn't sit around their living room talking. You know what they did when the sun went down? They went to bed. And then when the sun came up, they got up. I'll never forget a good friend of mine. His name is Vincent. In fact, he named one of his kids after me. Vincent, I, I took him on one trip, I took him a book and a flashlight that converted into kind of a, a nightstand, a light at night. Next morning, he wakes up and he said, because you brought me that lamp, I can stay up late and read now. 
And I think, what have I just done to him, right? I've cursed him with my culture. In the recent New York Times op-ed, Clark Strand wrote this, darkness was the only power that has ever put the human agenda on hold. We as a people, from, from my generation forward, we've always known what it's like to have the ability to shut off the night and to stay up well past midnight. And we're doing it in some really unusual ways today. Here's another thing. 71% of us sleep with our smartphones. Some are known to sleep with them under their pillow. Sometimes when they wake up in the night, they go ahead and just check their notifications. You know, here's the thing. Those smartphones, the, the blue light from the smartphone can interrupt your natural circadian rhythm. That, that sense of it's daylight, it's dark, and it's a time to sleep. It actually fools the brain to thinking it's daylight. And not just that. If you check your phone in the middle of the night, and you're checking social media accounts, and you see there's something that makes you happy or even something that makes you upset, you've engaged your brain, and it's going to make it harder for you to fall asleep. Besides that, they've discovered that if you sleep with your phone at night, it leads to more relationship problems and less sex. I mean, who needs that, right? So, so laptop computers are even worse. The brightness of the screen is exponentially greater than that of the phone. My wife and I have a hard and fast rule, no computer after 8 p.m. Because that light will definitely fool your brain. If you have insomnia and you're on your computer after 8 o'clock at night and your bedtime's around 10 or 11, you're going to have trouble sleeping because you're, you're interrupting that circadian rhythm. They say that the smart thing to do is not even check your phone for the hour before you go to bed. So human beings have struggled with disengaging from stress and work. It used to be that time and distance provided kind of a, a buffer zone or breathing space in our life between our work and what we're engaged in in the world and what we were doing at home. But with the advent of smart technology, time and distance have now been eliminated. You're always connected, you're always on, and you're always accessible, and that's not good. It was Thomas Friedman who said, we live in an age of overconnectedness where the lines between work and the rest of our life are quickly disappearing. Would you agree with that? You know, laptops and smartphones and the internet, they are amazing and wonderful creations. But they used to be our servants, and now we're becoming theirs. If you're always on, then what that tells me is the only time you're going to take care of yourself is when exhaustion or illness force you to do so. We are not machines. We need time. We need time to transition from task to task. We need time to transition from work to home, to family, to friends, to our own needs. And one sign that we're in trouble in this area is the next generation is not doing any better than baby boomers did. Look at this fact. Baby boomers, and this is just statistically, we're talking about the majority here. The majority of baby boomers took drugs to sleep. But millennials take stimulants to stay awake. And of course, some of us do both, right? <laughs> but, but both are indicative of a lack of meaningful rest. You don't have to take, take drugs to stay awake if you've gotten the rest you need. And you don't need to take drugs to sleep if you're not doing the things that interrupt your sleep cycle. So let's talk about this first point, which is rest yourself before you wreck yourself. It was the great devotional writer Oswald Chamber who said that the absence of rest is not restlessness, it's disintegration. In other words, 
If I'm not resting, I'm moving against integration. I'm, my life is not whole. My life is coming apart. My life is not what it was meant to be. Rest is essential to our life. It's what helps to put us back together. So what I'm talking about is for you and I to develop a sense of rhythm to our life. We need a routine. We need a routine to order our days. That way we make sure that we're getting the rest we need when we need it. Because if we don't, not only will our joy evaporate over time, but even our productivity will be sabotaged. So there's a law that seems to be written into nature I want to share with you, and it's this. You can borrow time, but you can't steal it. So let me explain this. Let's say that you have, you're a student, you need to write a paper, and it's due at 8 a.m. tomorrow. Or you have a report that you have to generate for your boss by first thing in the morning. And you procrastinated for whatever reason, and you decide, well, I'm going to just do this, I'm going to do it overnight. And you decide not to sleep that night to do that. I mean, besides, what else were you going to do with those eight hours, right? You're just going to waste them in bed. So you decide, I'm going to get this done. And you get it done. Good for you. But all you did was borrow time. You haven't gained anything. Because you stayed up all night on Thursday night, you're likely going to crash on Friday. If you don't crash on Friday, you're going to have to make up the sleep sometime on Saturday. If you don't catch up on sleep over the weekend, it is likely you will probably get sick the next week, or at the very least, your productivity will fall off. The time you thought you stole was merely borrowed, and it demands to be returned. You cannot cheat rest indefinitely. The longer you borrow against sleep, the longer you borrow against rest, the rest your body needs, the more your body will force you to pay back that time with interest. There's a really cool book. It's called The 24-Hour Society. It was written by Martin Moore Ede. Listen to his obser observation. Our most notorious industrial accidents, Exxon Valdez, Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, and the fatal navigational error of Korean Airlines 007 all occurred in the middle of the night. Did you know that? Did you know that was a common denominator? And not just that. This book goes on to explain how the... USS Vincennes, you remember when it shot down that Iranian A300 aircraft that had 290 people on board? What happened is the Vincennes, which is a, a carrier, the operators, the radar operators are looking at this, and they tell the captain that the plane is descending as if to attack. They were fatigued. They'd been at their station for way too long, when in actuality, the plane was maintaining its normal flight course. The decision to send up uh, the, the Chinese or the, the, the Challenger, remember the Space Shuttle Challenger? NASA made that decision after being at work for 20 hours straight with about two to three hours of sleep. And because of that fateful decision, we lost the lives of seven astronauts, including America's first teacher in space, and it nearly killed the U.S. space program. Restlessness has always been costly, either to society or to us as individuals. In Chinese, they have these pictographs. And by the way, if you ever get a tattoo of a pictograph, make sure you act, talk to an actual Chinese person to discover what that means, okay, before you put it on your body. But, but in Mandarin Chinese, the word for busy is a combination of two words, heart and the character for death or killing, because busyness is killing our hearts. We always, we need this rest. We have to have rest. You can borrow time, but you can never steal it. But to get rest, you have to do this next thing. You have to give yourself permission. It's interesting. Our word leisure comes from the Latin word lasir. And lasir is a word that means to be permitted, to, to, to give yourself um, 
uh, permission to do a thing. And that's what leisure takes. I have to give myself permission to engage in rest. Leland Riken, he's a professor of English at Wheatland College. He's, he wrote a book called Work and Leisure in Christian Perspective. Listen to this. Time, leisure is time devoted to freely chosen activities. They're inherently pleasurable and satisfying that relax and refresh us. Now, there's three key words to that definition. It's got to be freely chosen. It needs to be pleasurable and it needs to be relaxing. So first, you got you to choose it yourself. In other words, it's not something work-related. It's not something that's forced on you. It's freely chosen. Another thing, it needs to be pleasurable. You know, pleasurable is different things to different people. For some of you, the idea of sitting on a bank with a fishing pole and trying to catch fish, that is not pleasurable. Now, now you're wrong, and you're entitled to your wrong opinions, but... You don't see that as pleasurable. Some of you, you know, it's going on to garage sales on Saturday morning. Other people, it's hiking or riding their bike, whatever that might be. There's a third part of the definition, and that is it needs to relax or refresh us. If you're participating in something that's truly leisurely, your batteries are recharged as a result of doing that rather than feeling drained. You know, a number of us need to recognize that for us, our choices for leisure are not really providing us any rest. There's a difference between amusements and diversions and what I'm talking about in terms of rest. Amusements and diversions, they can be very fun for a while. They can provide a temporary lift, but it's kind of like cotton candy to your digestive system. You know, it can give you a temporary sugar high, but what your body needs is not that temporary high. You need something that's more sustained than that. And so what ends up happening is this. If you ever go back to work on Monday, feeling as tired as you did going into the weekend, or if you've ever got home from vacation thinking you need a vacation from your vacation, then what you're engaged in is what Dr. Richard Swenson calls lethal leisure. And that is we're working at our play, we're doing too much in our time when we should be building in periodic times for rest. You know, my wife and I just went to Ireland this past summer. We did something we'd never done before. We decided every other day we would have an activity. And on the days we had nothing, we were couch potatoes. We hung around. We walked to local restaurants to eat something. But we were not engaged the whole time because I told her, I said, that's not a vacation, you know. We're not getting the rest we need. And so it happened that God arranged that every day we were taking off, it rained anyway. So we would say like, oh, well, thank you, Lord. You know, we would have been miserable out there trying to do something in the rain. So we need to build in this time for rest. And by the way, rest is not something that you earn. It's not something you deserve. People say, well, you work so hard, you deserve a day off. You know, if I work hard or not, I need a day off, and so do you. Rest falls in the category as food and water and shelter. You don't earn it, you don't deserve it, you just need it. You know, our society really reinforces this a lot. Because I'm a pastor, my weekends are full. This is my busiest time because I'm most available when my people are most available, which is the weekend. So guess what? My day off is Monday. And sometimes I run into some of you folks when I'm out shopping and doing other things on Monday. And people say to me, well, must be nice. <laughs> and I just say, it is. You ought to try it sometime. It's my day off, people. I mean, what am I going to do? Of course, I'm going to go do things that are fun and go out to eat with my wife and go to the movies, all kinds of fun things. So let's talk about the lost art of Sabbathing. 
This is the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. This is what God tells us. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now this word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. And it means to stop or to cease or desist. What it's calling for are regular intervals of rest. Now you may not be aware of this, but the fourth commandment, there's actually more verbiage, more space dedicated to this commandment than the other nine. Why is take a Sabbath right up there with don't kill people and don't commit adultery? God thought this was so important that the first Ten Commandments, remember, he comes down from heaven, writes them in stone with his own finger. This is how important this is. And this is number four of the ten principles that you and I are to live by. Well, one really big reason why this is so important is because Sabbath is a symbol of our emancipation from slavery. Deuteronomy chapter 5 ties Sabbath observance to God delivering the people out of 400 years of Egyptian bondage. Look at this verse. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You see that word therefore in that verse? Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's telling you that this is a conclusion based on something I just said. So when you see the word therefore, you should always ask, what is the therefore Therefore, you want to know why is this conclusion being drawn? So what he says is you used to be slaves in Egypt. Now, as a result of this, I've given you a Sabbath day to observe. So what's the connection between slavery and Sabbath? Well, we have to remember this. God, God pe God's people were slaves. And this is a reminder that God delivered his people from a condition in which they were not treated as human beings. They were merely units of capacity in Pharaoh's brick-building enterprise. This commandment is in direct response to Egypt, a nation that endlessly accumulated, a nation that treated men and women like cogs in a machine whose only value to their bosses was the profits they would produce. So God is telling us, if you don't observe a, a, a Sabbath, you're a slave, even if that slavery is self-imposed. Because the Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. It means you're not a slave, not to your culture's expectations, not to your parents' hopes and dreams, and not even to your own insecurity. What the Sabbath does is it puts a limit on work. Ched Myers explained this beautifully. Listen to this. Sabbath is about the discipline of setting limits. We're commanded to cease our determined work to transform the world, in particular the economic activity of production and distribution of goods. Why? Because it's our fallen human nature, our impulse, to work compulsively, to consume addictively, and to use and exploit resources and labor mercilessly. Sabbath provides a cautionary discipline that seeks to constrain this addiction or compulsion. Or listen to this from the Reverend Dr. Parker. To keep the Sabbath as a radical act of resistance to a culture that's lost its meaning of life. What both of these well-known Bible scholars are saying is this, work has to be punctuated. 
You've got to put a period, not a comma, not a dot, dot, dot. Work has to be punctuated. Work has to end because everybody needs a time of rest. When we Sabbath, when we take a day off, we're reminding ourselves that we're not slaves. Now, you may think this only relates to Israel. And certainly in the context right there, he's talking about Israel directly. But God knows if you think like a slave, you'll create the conditions of slavery. So God wants to deliver us all from a slavery mentality. For some of us, our passion to be successful is a taskmaster. Others of us, our desire to get rich has become a kind of slavery. For some people in this room, you're so addicted to the opinions of other people that that in itself has become a prison. And you do everything because you think it's going to please other people and you're not thinking about how much it pleases you or God. So who are the slave masters that drive your life? Are you living like a slave or are you living like a person who's been set free? Now we need to remember, for the most part, we are the architects of our own schedule. If we don't like the prison, guess who built it? Here's the second reason the Sabbath is so important. Sabbathing reorients our life to God. Look at this verse. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see, on the one hand, it's a Sabbath from something. And that's what we've been talking about. A Sabbath from work, a disconnection, a punctuation. Work ends so that rest can take its place. But it's also a Sabbath to someone. It's a Sabbath that's dedicated to God. It's not just taking a break from the daily grind. It's about reconnecting with God. Because God is the one who gives our lives meaning and connection in the first sense. Think of it as life's ultimate recalibration. I love the way Eugene Peter said it. He said, Sabbath is the biblical tool for protecting time against desecration. It's the rhythmic setting apart of one day each week for praying and playing. The two activities for which we don't get paid but which are necessary for a blessed life. You need time to pray. You need time to play. In fact, it's such a key component to what Jesus taught that what we find is Jesus challenging the religious types of his day who turned the Sabbath into a do-nothing day. And Jesus says, no, this is not a do-nothing day. This is a do-something-meaningful-for-God day. This is one of the reasons why this church works because there are people who show up and they volunteer and they say, I want to serve. I want to help others. This is one of the ways I worship God. This is one of the ways I serve him, by showing up and doing what's necessary. So the Sabbath principle teaches us this. A good thing, work, work is a good thing. A good thing must be renounced so a better thing can take precedence for a while. Sabbathing from work, Sabbathing to God. In the same way, Jesus, uh, in his day, the scribes and Pharisees had turned the Sabbath into a burden. But Jesus had something to say about it, and he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What Jesus taught is that acts of mercy and acts of necessity are always permissible on the Sabbath. This is why some six times in the gospel, he heals on the Sabbath. Because acts of mercy are always acceptable work. And he doesn't condemn his disciples who gather food on the, on the Sabbath because they're hungry. That's an act of necessity. Acts of mercy and acts of necessity are always permitted on the Sabbath. Now, there's two New Testament passages I want to point out because some people in their heads are saying, well, you know, isn't the Sabbath Saturday and all this kind of stuff? Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 14:5. One man considers one day more sacred than the other. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, friends, it would have been impossible for any Jewish leader in the Old Testament to make the statement Paul just made. 
The, father, or the fourth commandment doesn't say keep the Sabbath if you feel like it. So Paul is clearly telling us something has changed, and he gets more specific in Colossians 2, 16 to 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus Christ. Paul explicitly says in this verse that the Sabbath was a shadow. It wasn't the reality. The reality is Jesus because Jesus is our rest. The reality is Jesus because he's the liberator of our souls. He's the one that's set free. So the Sabbath, if you will, is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So think of it like this. The Sabbath command, capital S, is no longer in effect. But the Sabbath principle, small s, is. You see, the Sabbath is one of four creation ordinances. There are four things talked about in the book of Genesis before there were a people of God called the Jews, before there was a law, four things that defined us as a human civilization. Marriage is one, equality of the sexes is another, creation care, and rest. That's Sabbathing. And what, what God is telling us is that the Sabbath principle, which was central to the creation event, he says, six days you'll work, you'll always take one day of rest. So let's wrap up and talk about building margin in your life. One of the Gospels I really love, I preached through it all the way from Mark 1 to 15, <coughs> was, um, is, is, is this Gospel of Mark. It's a great, great book. But it presents Jesus as a man of action. It's one of the shortest Gospels, but its characteristic is that it moves fast. And one of the ways we get that movement is in the 16 chapters, 40 times, Mark uses this word immediately. So Jesus is always going places and doing stuff. He's always having conversations. He's preaching. He's debating. He's healing. He's, he's gathering his disciples together. This is, this is Jesus. The danger is not in being active. Jesus lived the active life of a prominent and engaged person. The danger is in activism or drivenness. Activism or drivenness is when we get our worth from how busy we are. When we think that we matter because our schedules are so full. That's drivenness. That's activism. And that's not good for anybody. You see, because there's this side to Jesus that we see, one that sneaks in a verse here and a verse there, that the flow of action is punctuated by hours and sometimes days of rest. Jesus always made a point to find solitary places where he could be alone with his father. He understood how important rest was. Look at this verse. Then Jesus suggested, let's get away from the crowds for a while and rest. For so many people were coming and going that they scarcely had time to eat. So this, this shows a man who's very busy, right? I mean, you're so busy, you don't have time to eat. I don't think I've ever been that busy, you know? Well, I didn't, man, we can squeeze something in there, food, right? But all of a sudden, Jesus says, you know, they're so busy, this is the reason why we need a break. We need to get away from it all for a while and be with God. So there are three things I want to share with you. Number one, you need a time. You need to set aside a time, definitely every week, that's rest. And this is a sacred time to you. And the only thing that ever affects that is a true bona fide emergency. But apart from that, you carve that out and you, and you guard it. And you don't let other things encroach on that day. Often when the Bible describes Jesus' aloneness, it says he goes to the wilderness. He goes to a barren place where his entire focus is exclusively on God. 
Now, there's something I want to teach you about Jewishness because the, the thing that we see in the scriptures is Jesus often seeks his father first thing in the morning, right? He goes in the morning to do these things. From a Jewish perspective, the day does not begin at morning. The day begins at evening. This is why in the book of Genesis it says it was evening, it was morning the first day. Because that's the way Jewish people reckon time. So tonight at 5.30 the sun goes down. Isn't that crazy? I, I hate when we go off daylight savings time. 5.30, this is not right, you know. Uh, but 5.30, the sun goes down. When that happens tonight to a, Jewish per, to a Jewish person, that's the beginning of Monday, okay? Monday begins when the sun sets. Now, when you think about this, in light of that, Eugene Peterson made this observation that changed the way I thought completely. Listen to what he says. That's to remind us that we're not the initiators of activity of life in the world. We go to bed at night, and when we go to bed, the day is just getting started for God. And when we wake up in the morning, the day is not just getting started for God, He's been at work all night long. We're just about to re-engage in what He's been doing the last 12 hours. Now, isn't that a shift in perspective? Which that means, when I wake up and I think the whole world rests on my shoulders, guess what? It never did. You're not in control, you're not in charge, and you're not that important. What, what the Bible teaches us when we wake up, our first prayer is, God, you're already doing great things in the world today. I want to be in on it. I'm joining God in the work that he started while I was doing nothing but being unconscious in my bed. I love the way Dr. Evans said it. He says, God got it, so rest. I mean, that's what it teaches us, that God has been at work, and God continues to be at work even when we're at rest. So instead of beginning the day with our grand plans, we begin by checking in with God to see what he's been up to. And since it all doesn't depend on me, I don't need to stress like it does. You know, let's be honest. Work is probably one of our biggest idols in this country. It, it, it makes me feel important. Uh, many of us think because we work so hard, we're in charge, we're in control, we're charting our own destiny. But taking one day off in seven reminds us who's really in control. And my friends, we have to do this even during the most stressful and busy times. Look at this. This is, this is written to an agrarian society of people who make their living off the land. God said, even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Now, this takes an act of faith because to take time off when you're either trying to get the crop in the ground or trying to get the crop out of the field, you have to think, well, will, will the weather hold out so I can get it all in? If I take a day off, will insects come in and begin to devour the crop so I don't have as much? You see, it's an act of faith to step out and rest when there's stuff to do, when you still got food on the table, when there's still bills to be paid, when there's a mortgage payment that still has to be made this month. To take a day off reminds us that God is in charge and God's going to take care of me. I don't need to be in the office every day of the week. I can take a day off. It's the same principle behind giving. The reason I give my money is because I have more than enough, and God's got a hold of my future anyway. So as a pastor, what I want you to do is I want you to dare to do some great acts of faith this week. Pick any one of these as a faith project, okay? Take a day and go play golf. Do you like the list so far? Okay, so that's one. Take the family on a picnic. Go on a date night. Go, go get a good book 
and take a day off and just go read. If one of your friends sees you at the park with your hammock tied up between two trees and they come by and they say, it must be nice. <laughs> Tell them your nap is an act of faith in God because it is. <laughs> I can rest because my God's at work and he's taking care of me. So even during plowing <coughs> or harvest season, you must rest. If you're a CPA, insert the phrase tax season. If you're a stay-at-home mom, even during the toddler years. If you, if you just started a business, even during those initial months and days of a business startup. During the busiest times, that's when we have to carve out time. Listen to this advice. I mean, it surprises me who said this. This is Da Vinci. This is not some 21st century stress management expert. He said, every now and then go away. Take a little relaxation because when you come back to your work, your judgment will be sure. To remain constantly at work will cause you to lose power of judgment. Go some distance away because then the work appears smaller. I love the way God said it in Psalm 127. It's senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night for God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. That's God's heart for you is that you get the rest you need. Even Psalm 23 is so well known. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Comes before the phrase, he restores my soul. Rest always comes before restoration. Rest means not to work at our rest, not to work at our play, but to really disengage. You know, it was the great theologian Winnie the Pooh who once said, <laughs> don't underestimate the value of doing nothing of just going along, listening to all the things you can't hear and not bothering. So you need a time, but you also need a place. Jesus, like I said, he goes to the wilderness. What's your wilderness? Where's the place where you can be alone with God? You know, for some of you, maybe it's, it's a room in your house that you've set aside. Maybe, maybe it's your kitchen nook. Maybe, maybe it's in a bedroom. Maybe it is that you go for a walk, like I love going for a walk with God. You know, when I used to have a motorcycle and I loved having a motorcycle, I'd just get on and I'd take off into the country where I didn't have to stress about everybody running me over in the city. I could just be on the open road and it just kind of pushed the cobwebs out of my mind. You need a place, but third, you need a frequency. The Bible says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This isn't just a yearly retreat for Jesus. It didn't happen every so often. It says often. This happened repeated. This is the regular practice of Jesus. So three phrases I want to leave you with. Number one, you need to divert daily. You need little mini vacations every day where you disengage from work for a while. Maybe that's you listen to music. Maybe that's in your car and you're praying. Maybe it is that you, you, you love to play an instrument. It could be gardening. It could be anything. But you need a daily diversion from work, something that gets your mind off of that, that creates that time and space between what you do and who you are. Third, you withdraw weekly. Every week, you're supposed to take a day off. That's the Sabbath principle, that we need time sacred to us that's a time to rest and rejuvenate. And then fourth, you abandon annually. Just once a year at least, you need to just kind of chuck it all and go away and be reminded to keep work in perspective, to keep God in perspective, yourself in perspective. You need to abandon it all. Now, this is something to be grateful for, that God stresses this so much that he put in the Ten Commandments. God stresses this so much 
that it goes all the way back to creation. God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. We're coming into a busy time of year. Do I need to remind anybody of that? <laughs> There's going to be parties for your office. There's going to be family get-togethers, whatever that means for your family, right? We're going to be doing a lot of stuff. We've got our traditions, the things we like to go and see. We're at the malls. We're buying presents, so it gets really stressful. Even during Thanksgiving and Black Friday and Christmas season, you need your rest. You need time to take off. You need to carve out, and you need to be intentional about this because I'm telling you, it would be easy for these events, which are meant to be meaningful and to give back to you, to have the opposite effect and actually become toxic and take away life and leave you more drained and not ready for the new year. So even during times of high stress and a lot of output, you got to carve out the time. You make the time for God. Remember, every morning when you wake up, your day may be, get, be beginning, but God's is not. God started when you went to sleep, and you're joining him in the middle of his work. So don't work like it all depends on you. It never did. And that perspective is what restores the sanity of our life. To remember that God loves us that much and he values us so much that he says, I want you to have longevity. I want to, I want to make a difference in your life. Now, I got to tell you, just honest confession, in the back of my head, there's this voice and it's my dad. And my dad was really one of those guys that always say, you know, I don't care if you're sick. If you can get out of bed, you go to work, right? And my dad lived this life of perpetual neglect of himself. And because he lived with perpetual neglect of himself, he had three heart attacks till the fourth one took his life. And there was no reason for his life to end the way it ended and when it ended other than the fact that he didn't carve out the time for himself. He was driven. And because he was driven, he paid the ultimate price for that. That voice argues with me when I have downtime. You know, I got back from Africa about six days before the last service where Josh preached. And I thought, you know, I usually kill myself to get back to service. I'm not even on U.S. time and I'm not feeling well. And I would have done that in the past. But I said, you know, I need to take care of me. And I took the time to rest, to get my sleep back in order, to come back still congested and hurt back and all that stuff. But I, I took the time that I needed to recoup. I wasn't going to push myself. Friends, some of you in this room, you need to hear this from God. You really matter. You matter. You matter so much that he said, this is my command to you. Get your day of rest. Get your time to rejuvenate. Don't continue just to work at play. Find your rest. Because you know what? When we do that, we're this beautiful, wonderful, healthy alternative to a world that drives us like slaves. That's not who you are. That's not your identity. You're a beloved child of God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for the power and the wonder of your liberating truth. I pray, God, that we would keep all of this in perspective. That it's you, God, who gives our life meaning. That it's you, God, who is at work in the world. And when I wake up in the morning, my day may be beginning, but I'm just joining you in your work. So I would ask, God, that as we gather in this time and we pray that, Lord, we would lay down our slavery, our taskmasters, 
the, the distorted ideas that culture has, has deposited into our life, that, that my value is in my productivity, that, that it only matters that if I can get my slice of the pie, all the things, God, that contribute to drivenness in our life, that desire to please and make other people happy, that, God, there's only one word to please, and that's you. And you said we're so valuable, we need rest. So, God, may we take some time today and thank you for being the kind of God who understands how you made us and how you wired us up and how that we actually thrive when we do life your way. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.